there's no better feeling than a personal win. And the State Farm Personal Price Plan can help you do just that. Talk to a State Farm agent today to learn how you can bundle and save with the personal price plan. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Prices are based on rating plans that vary by state. Coverage options are selected by the customer. Availability, amount of discounts and savings, and eligibility vary by state. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. The Hargan women seemed to have it all. We were blessed. My mom was amazing. But detectives would soon discover... Inside the house, there were the bodies of two women. A story of betrayal you would struggle to believe if it wasn't true. I am just praying to God this is a sick joke. From 48 Hours, this is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan family killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Hey, everyone. Carter here. Thank you for listening. In order to keep the show free for you, we use advertisers to help cover some of the production costs. And in order to help them, we're asking you to take an audience survey. should just take about five minutes to fill out. And if you do, you can win a $100 gift certificate. Just go to podsurvey.com slash unsolved. That's podsurvey.com slash U-N-S-O-L-V-E-D. As a reminder, there is some scary content for some of our younger audience members, so listener discretion is advised. And now, part two of The Phantom Killer. Did you hear the latest? No, what? Two more victims. Victims? Heard it from Ruth. Shot dead. Really? I don't think this would happen in our town. What are we going to do? Well, I tell you, he's not getting me. Yeah, because he's only killing guys with girlfriends. <laughs> oh, very funny. Yeah, here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to go down there with my shotgun and sit and wait. Then, when he pops up, bam! Right in the head. End of problem. People are frightened. I'm frightened. Uh, uh, who wouldn't be? I heard the Jacksons moved out of their house and into a hotel. Well, I heard the Connollys moved out of town. We'll stay with my brother until things settle down. Do we want to disrupt our lives like that? Our lives are already disrupted. We need to do this. Are we overreacting? No. We need to do this to protect us. To protect you. When are things going to get back to normal? When they get this guy. If they get this guy. Well, aren't they close? Not from what I heard. I trust the sheriff. I do too. It's just... It's just what? I'm worried nothing's going to happen before... Before what? Before he strikes again. Welcome to Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. Today, we're continuing our investigation into the Texarkana Moonlight Murders. Also known as the case of the Phantom Killer. So far, the mysterious assailant has attacked one couple on Lover's Lane. But fortunately and miraculously, they survived. Unfortunately, the police are not close to catching the criminal behind this attack. And even worse, the town's fortune is about to change. 
This is episode seven of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, and episode two of The Phantom Killer Case. If you want to review an episode of Unsolved Murders or to hear our investigation into other cases, you can find them all on your favorite podcast directory. Don't forget to subscribe. You can also listen on our website, parcast.com, spelled P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode comes out every other Tuesday. Visit our Facebook page, Parcast, to join the conversation. And now, back to the Phantom Killer. Texarkana in 1946. It's Saturday, March 23rd. Four weeks after Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Leary stopped on Richmond Road. Well, here we are. Yes, here we are. Only to encounter a man wearing a mask with holes for his mouth and eyes. I don't want to kill you, fellow. So do as I say. Both of you get out of the car. This man would physically attack, <coughs> mentally manipulate. Now run. Run! Stop! Not that way. Up the road. And threaten their very lives. I'm gonna kill you. They were lucky to escape. But it's a month later. And life has moved on. Time has passed. Folks aren't thinking about that weird, random attack from a month ago. But they are about to get a cruel reminder that maybe they should be. It's March 23rd, 1946. Planning to spend that Saturday with his girlfriend was Richard Griffin, a 29-year-old war veteran who had been discharged from the Seabees in November. The Seabees? The Construction Battalion of the U.S. Navy. The initials CB, for Construction Battalion, gave the group its common name. Seabees. For the past six weeks, Richard, a carpenter and painter who handled his own contracting, had been dating Polly Ann Moore. Hey, Richard. Hey, Polly. A 17-year-old who had graduated high school the previous June. Isn't he a little old for her? Maybe today. Less so then. Keep in mind, it was a different time. The average age for a woman getting married, which is 27 now, was 20 back then. Right. A different time. Anyway... Richard picked up Polly in his 1941 Oldsmobile, and for lunch that day, they hit a cafe on West 7th Street. Can't wait to eat. I'm hungry. (laughs) You're always hungry. What's your favorite food? I don't know. Ribs, maybe. Ribs at a family barbecue. You'll have to try some this summer. Really? You're already planning our summer. Aren't you? I see you smiling. (laughs) Just happy not to be working today. Right. Not working. (laughs) That smile be twice as wide when you try my ribs. And later that night, they were seen at another restaurant on West 7th Street, also known as U.S. Highway 67 West, with Griffin's sister Emily and her boyfriend, J.A. Proctor. J.A., you treating my sister right? You know I am. Hey, sis. Hello, Richard. Hello, Polly. So, what's good on the menu? (laughs) Let me guess. You're hungry again. Another double date. Just like Jimmy Hollis and Mary Jean Larry had their fateful night. Exactly. And like Jimmy and Mary Jean, Richard and Polly weren't ready for the night to end. So they took a drive down to Rich Road, a lover's lane not far from a night spot called Club Dallas. Why are you stopping here? I thought you might like to talk. (laughs) Yeah, talk. Looks like it's time for a little cuddling. What happened next? We can only speculate. Did you hear that? Hear what? Is someone out there? But they were about to encounter a danger they could not anticipate. 
There it is again. Yes, I heard it. Hey, who's out there? And the consequences would be huge. Richard? Yeah? I'm scared. Sunday morning, March 24th, 1946. A passing motorist notices the Oldsmobile parked on Rich Road and stops. At first, he thinks the couple has just fallen asleep. Fella, you best wake up and move along. But then he realizes the awful truth. Oh my God. Richard was on his knees between the front seats with his head resting on his crossed hands. The pockets of his pants were turned inside out. He had been shot twice. And Polly? Sprawled out, fully clothed in the back seat. Shot once in the back of the head. Mm-hmm. Texas City Police, how can I help you? You need to get out to Rich Road. A couple's been shot. When the call came, Texas City Police Chief Jack Runnels was with Bowie County Sheriff Bill Presley, and they sped to the scene. They would lead an investigation that would soon expand to include the Texas and Arkansas City Police, the Department of Public Safety, the sheriffs of both Miller and Cass counties, and even the FBI. Because of the location of the crime and all the different jurisdictions that converged there. That's right. But even with all that manpower, there were still mistakes made. Such as? In a mix-up, Polly Ann Moore's body was picked up before it could be determined if she was sexually assaulted. But she was fully clothed. The body could have been staged. According to a subsequent police report, Moore was killed on a blanket in front of the car and then later placed back inside. What do you think we got here? No weapon on the scene, so we can rule out murder-suicide. Two shot dead. Why? His pockets are empty and there's no money in her purse. Robbery? Yeah, but if you're looking to make a big score, this isn't it. How much cash you reckon they had on them? And if you got the dough, why kill him? Still, robbery is the only thing that makes sense, even if it's not much. What else could it be? They were able to identify the body of Polly Ann Moore when Sheriff Presley called Homer Carter, the city marshal of Atlanta, Texas, with the details of a ring found on her. Homer, this is Bill Presley in Bowie County. We're trying to identify a DB, woman in her teens. Got a class ring from 1945 Atlanta High School with the initials P-A-M on it. That's Papa Alpha Mike. The only clues left behind were a patch of bloody sand about 20 feet in front of the vehicle and a 32 cartridge shell, believed to be shot from a Colt, found in a blanket inside the car. Not much to go on. Also, it had rained overnight. Which meant any footprints left by the killer had been washed away. To the authorities, the crime was baffling. And even when the news hit the front page Monday morning, Extra! Couple found shot to death in auto. Read all about it. There were more questions than answers. The investigation into the murders of Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore was already large and expansive. But it was about to get bigger. On the Monday morning after the bodies were found, the Texas Rangers were called into the case. I want the bloody Sam found in the front of the car sent to the lab in Austin, along with the blood of clothes. Let's top everything and see if the blood on the ground matches either victim. Yes, sir. Let's go back over the entire crime scene to see if anything was missed. I want all the reports. All right, sir. Leave no stone unturned. We have manpower and the will. Let's chase every lead, follow every tip, and question every possible suspect. Understood, sir. Over the next five days, approximately 200 suspects were questioned. Hey, what are you dragging me in for? I've done nothing wrong. In addition, the investigators chased down hundreds of tips. 
I saw my neighbor digging a hole in his backyard on Sunday. I think he was burying the murder weapon. And dealt with other false leads. I had a dream last night where I saw the killer, and he had red hair. They did manage to get three suspects in custody because of bloody clothing. This isn't human blood. I was out hunting today. I got an elk. This isn't fresh. Well, I, I cut myself working a, a while back. Yeah, I'm guilty of getting in a fight. You can check with the guys down at the bar. Caught one right in the nose. But none of them panned out. So they appealed to the public. In the March 27th edition of the Texarkana Gazette, in an article titled, You Can Help Solve the Murders. Sheriff Bill Presley and his deputies have a difficult task ahead of them as they attempt to solve the shocking double murder discovered Sunday morning. Texarkana residents can help in this investigation, and at the same time, if they are not careful, they can hinder the investigation and cause the officers to spend many hours following blind trails. Persons who have information which might furnish a clue to the identity of the slayer or slayers, or which might indicate a motive for the crime, should not divulge such information on street corners or at cold drink stands, but should immediately make it available to the officers. Do not spread rumors, regardless of how much basis for fact there is in them. Do not say, I heard, or they say, because the chances are that the person listening will repeat your information and enlarge upon it. Before long, the story grows to such proportions as to necessitate a detailed investigation by the officers, thereby perhaps pulling them off the true trail and sending them up a blind alley. Stick to facts that you know of your own personal knowledge and relay those facts as quickly as possible to the officers. Sounds like a catch-22 situation. They needed the public's help, but there were so many baseless rumors going around, they were chasing bad information. Exactly. On Sunday, March 30th, Presley and Chief Runnels took the next step. We need to put out a reward. How much? $500. Yeah, that'll bring out the crazies. We're stuck. We need the help. The public was notified that a $500 reward would be given to anyone who provided new information that led to the arrest and conviction of the Slayer, or Slayers. And that was a lot of money. Keep in mind, $500 in 1946 is equivalent to almost $6,500 today. The investigators went back to work on the case. But even they would acknowledge that so far, all their efforts had proved fruitless. On April 11th, Sheriff Presley faced the press. I just want to remind everyone that the $500 reward is still active. We are still working on this case hard. We have not relaxed for one minute since the discovery of this crime. We will pursue the evidence wherever it leads and wherever it takes us. Do you have a suspect? Not at this point in time. That is why we need the public's help. Every tip, no matter how small, will be followed up on. Sheriff, is there a killer loose in our town? I am confident that we will catch the perpetrator or perpetrators responsible for this heinous crime. You didn't answer my question, Sheriff. Is there a killer loose in our town? If there is, we will catch him. Before or after he kills again. Our story will continue in a moment after a brief message. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. 
to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Going for your first ever run around the park. Literally running errands all over town. Running for the finish line and your personal best. If you run, you're a runner. Find the shoes and clothes to run your way at newbalance.com slash running. New Balance. Run your way. Now, the story continues. Despite the tension in town over the double murder, life in Texarkana moved on. Honey, we're playing Parcheesi. Care to join us? Mom, I gotta practice. Betty Jo Booker was a highly popular 15-year-old junior at Texas High School. She was one of four music officers in the school band and played alto saxophone in Jerry Atkins' orchestra, the Rhythm Airs, who would perform at proms and other events. Thank you, ladies and gentlemen. I'm Jerry Atkins, and we have been the Rhythm Airs. She sounds like quite the musical prodigy. But she was more than that. She was a near straight-A student who not only won musical awards, but scholastic and literary ones as well. Her success began early, starting as a young pageant contestant representing the Presbyterian Bookstore at a citywide competition. And the winner of Miss Little Texarkana is Betty Jo Booker. She loved to swim and dance and harbored dreams of becoming a medical technician. In short, she was smart pretty, popular, talented, and well-liked. Just like me in high school. <laughs> I'll bet. In early April, Betty Jo Booker got a call from Paul Martin, who had been one of her friends since kindergarten. He had moved away to Kilgore, Texas, two years before. Hello? Hey, Betty Jo, it's Paul Martin. Hi, Paul. How are things in Kilgore? Great. Uh, actually, I'm, I'm going to be back in town this weekend. I, um, I, I thought maybe we can get together. Oh, uh, I have my concert Saturday night with the Rhythm Airs. I'd love to see you play. Uh, okay. It's at the VFW Club. Well, maybe we can get together earlier. Uh, say in the afternoon? Well, I guess. Great. Can't wait. I'll see you Saturday. Uh, all right. Sounds like he was more into it than she was. That's what her friend said later. That she didn't want to hang out with Paul, but she felt obligated because they were old friends. So Betty, Joe, and Paul were just pals? Maybe. Maybe she had feelings she didn't share with her close friends. What makes you say that? You're getting ahead of the story. Saturday rolls around. April 13th, 1946. Paul and Betty Joe are together in the afternoon. Then Betty Joe is doing her weekly gig at the VFW Club. With the Rhythm Airs. And then Paul is going to drive Betty Joe to a friend's slumber party. Betty Joe, you're coming to the party, right? We usually don't finish playing until 1.30 in the morning, but I'll be over after. <laughs> don't worry, we'll still be up. Music filled the air that night at the VFW Club at West 4th and Oak Street. The crowd was jumping, the band was in the groove, and folks were dancing. And on the alto saxophone, Betty Jo Booker! When the gig concluded in the wee hours of Saturday night. Which was now early Sunday morning. The musicians were pleased with a job well done. See you next week, Betty Jo. Sure thing, Jerry. Little did they know, it would be the last performance ever of the Rhythm Airs. It was early Sunday, April 14th. At 6 a.m., the phone rang at the home of Jerry Atkins, the band leader of the Rhythm Airs. 
I'm coming, I'm coming. Uh, hello? Is this Jerry Atkins? Yes. Have you seen Betty Jo Booker? N no. Um, last I know, she was getting a ride home from Ernie Holcomb. Wait, I thought Paul Martin was driving her to the slumber party. He was. Jerry didn't know about that arrangement. He and Ernie usually took turns driving Betty Jo home, and this was Ernie's week. She was supposed to be at a slumber party and never showed. Uh-oh, so now Betty Jo is missing. Around 8 o'clock, Jerry Atkins got another call. Hello? Do you know where Betty Jo Booker is? No. Have you called her parents? We can't find her. She was supposed to get a ride to the party from Paul, but we can't find her or Paul. And then a bulletin came over the radio. This is breaking news. The body of a young male teen has been found shot to death at Spring Lake Park. Hundreds flocked to the site, and cars jammed the roads around the park that day as the curious tried to get close to the crime scene. And the deceased was Paul Martin? Yes. The body had been discovered around 6.30 a.m. by Mr. and Mrs. G.H. Weaver and their son. The family immediately contacted the police. There's a body out in North Park Road. Paul had been shot four times. In the nose, through the rib from behind, in the hand, and through the back of the neck. But the question still remained. Where was Betty Jo Booker? At this point, authorities expected the worst. The sheriff, Bill Presley, went to Sunday school that day and asked the group to help him search for Betty Jo. You have to prepare yourself. At this point, we're probably looking for a body. It wasn't until 11.30 that morning when George Boyd, one of the Sunday school searchers, spotted a body behind a tree 25 yards off Morris Lane. Oh my God. There she is. Oh my God, there she is. Oh my God, there she is! The body was lying on its back, fully clothed, with the right hand still in the pocket of the overcoat. Like Paul Martin, Betty Jo had been shot multiple times, once through the rib and once through the cheek. And the murder weapon? It was the same as that used in the first double murder, a Colt 32 automatic pistol. Betty Jo was fully clothed, but was she... Um... The next day's newspaper said the bodies were not abused, but later reports suggest Betty Jo had been raped. Investigators said she and Paul both put up a terrific struggle, and her body was found over two miles from his. Indicating, perhaps, that she had run for her life and eventually had been chased down. Exactly. And Martin's 1946 Ford Coupe was found three miles from her body and a mile and a half from his with the keys still in it. Which means he might have run too. But what were they doing at Spring Lake Park? That's an interesting question. Why did they stop instead of going straight to the slumber party? Nobody thought that they were lovers stopping to make out. Maybe they were wrong. Maybe Betty Jo had some feelings for Paul. So that's why you said that earlier, and this was all on the down low? She was pretty, popular, the nice girl who always did the right thing. Maybe she didn't want anyone to know. Regardless, the second double murder in three weeks, and especially losing someone as young and as well-liked as Betty Jo, must have been quite a blow to the community. And it was. Band leader Jerry Atkins, who would be a pallbearer at the funeral, confessed. What happened was so tragic, and for many of us who lived through it, the frustration and sadness will always be there. Even 50 years later, when asked about the crime in 1996, the memory was still vivid to one of Betty Jo's classmates. We were all extremely frightened. I'm extremely upset. And in a way, we still are. 
We'll return to our story in just a moment from the ParCast Network. Now at Top Golf, you get half off golf Monday through Wednesday when you book in the app. It could be any Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday. Like this Monday, next Tuesday, and the following Wednesday. Or maybe this Wednesday, next Tuesday, and the Monday after that. Basically, any Monday, Tuesday, or Wednesday is a good day, as long as you spend it at Top Golf. It's golf. It's half off. It's half off golf. Monday through Wednesday when you book in the app for a limited time only. So download the Top Golf app, book a bay, and come play around. Restrictions and exclusions may apply. Visit topgolf.com/slash half off golf for details. At Evernorth Health Services, we believe costs shouldn't get in the way of life-changing care. And we're doing everything in our power to make it possible. Behavioral health solutions that also keep your projections at their best? It's possible. Pharmacy benefits that benefit your bottom line? It's possible. Complex specialty care that cares about your ROI? It's possible. Because we're already doing it. All while saving businesses billions. That's wonder made possible. Learn more at evernorth.com slash wonder. And now, back to our story. Even as sadness and fear enveloped Texarkana, the investigation continued. In addition to the sheriff and police chief, who were again first on the scene, they were joined by officers from Bowie, Cass, Miller, and Little River counties, the Texas and Arkansas State Police, the Texas Rangers, and the FBI. It was all hands on deck. They were also joined by the famed Texas Ranger, M.T. Lone Wolf Gonzalez. Gonzalez had been a Texas Ranger for over a quarter century. In the 20s and 30s, he had been in charge of controlling gambling, bank robbery, bootlegging, narcotic trafficking, prostitution, riots, and general lawlessness from the Red River to the Rio Grande and from El Paso to the Sabine. Now, he vowed. I will stay in Texacana until this killer is apprehended. The authorities began an exhaustive dragnet, pulling in suspects from a 100-mile radius. Men, women, white, black, old, young. They had three rooms at the Bowie County building and set up shifts so they could work around the clock, interrogating those under scrutiny in a 24-hour cycle. There's no doubt they had enough manpower and resources devoted to the case. But the same question was on everyone's mind. Would it yield results? I'd like to take a few seconds and remind you to please take five minutes to fill out our survey. As you know, we have great advertisers that support the show and keep it free for you. And one of the reasons why advertisers love Unsolved Murders is they know the show has such amazing listeners. And right now, we have a survey that we'd like you to take to help us learn more about our audience. Uh, just go to podsurvey.com slash unsolved. That's P-O-D-S-U-R-V-E-Y dot com slash U-N-S-O-L-V-E-D. Survey will only take about five minutes. Uh, we're going to ask you some questions about yourself and what you like to buy. And don't worry, it's completely anonymous. Your answers just help us find advertisers that are well-matched to you, your interest, and the show. And when you're finished, you can enter a monthly drawing to win a $100 Amazon gift card. Now, even if you've taken a podcast listener survey before, we'd like to ask you to take ours and uh, help support the show. And don't forget, you have a chance to win that $100 gift card. Once again, that's podsurvey.com slash unsolved, U-N-S-O-L-V-E-D. Thank you for helping us find the best advertisers so that we can keep the show free for you. And now we find out if that manpower is enough to help catch the Phantom Killer. The police were working feverishly to determine who had killed Paul Martin and Betty Jo Booker. The same killer they believed responsible for the deaths of Richard Griffin and Polly Ann Moore. And they quickly closed in on a suspect. 
a cab driver who was spotted in the vicinity that Sunday morning. However, after extensive questioning, Look, I was driving in the area, but I'm a cab driver. That's what I do. They ruled him out. So once again, the investigation was stalled. By Tuesday, despite their nonstop effort, things looked bleak. Sheriff Presley, out of all the suspects you've questioned in the past 48 hours, how much valuable information have you obtained? Honestly, very little. Are you discouraged? No. We are required to follow all leads, regardless of how thin they might be, in the hope that they will lead to something tangible in the eventual solution of the mystery. Still, the mother of Betty Jo Booker expressed confidence. I trust the men who are handling the investigation into my daughter's death. I'm sure they'll find whoever did this. If he is caught, I would like to kill him. If they would let me, I would kill him myself. It was at this time that the serial murderer, Lucent Texarkana, got his nickname. Headlines appeared in the Texarkana Daily News. Phantom Killer eludes officers as investigation of slayings pressed. And Phantom Slayer eludes police. The newspapermen decided that the name should stick. Should we start referring to the unknown murderer as the Phantom? Why not? If the SOB continues to elude capture, then he certainly can be called a Phantom. That this mysterious killer in their midst was being called a Phantom did nothing to calm the town's nerves. Understandably. What was that? Relax, it's just a car backfiring. The city council and the county commissioners adopted a voluntary curfew. Did you hear? There's a curfew in place at midnight. Midnight? I'm not going out after sunset. And while the scared citizens bought locks and guns, officers received a lead from Jerry Atkins, Booker's band leader. You know, Betty Jo had her saxophone with her when she left the dance. And the saxophone hadn't been found at the crime scene? So the investigators began an exhaustive search for the missing musical instrument. I want to contact every pawn shop and music store in the country. We're looking for an Alto Bundy saxophone. On Thursday, April 25th, a man walked into a music store in Corpus Christi, Texas. Uh, do you want to buy an Alto Bundy saxophone? I need to speak to my manager. What do you have to talk to him about it for? You work here, don't you? Just let me get the manager. He's in back. I ain't waiting for no manager. The store contacted police after the man fled, and the man was arrested two days later at a waterfront hotel after purchasing a 45 revolver from a pawn shop. He was identified by the sales clerk. That's him. That's the man who wanted to sell the sacks. And a search of his hotel room found bloody clothing. Finally, a solid suspect. Tell me this. How do you explain the blood on your clothes? The blood on my clothes? It's a cut I got on my forehead in a bar fight. See the cut? And what about the saxophone? Was it there in the hotel room? No. And after several days of grilling, Captain Gonzalez updated the public. Everything the man tells us is being checked and double-checked. Everything he has told us this far has been found to be true. He has answered all of our questions without hesitancy, and we're making every effort to find out if he is telling the truth or is covering up information. We are convinced that thus far the man has told the truth. And if all his story is found to be true, beyond shadow of a doubt, we can no longer hold him as suspect. It was not encouraging news. Our duty is not only to apprehend violators of the law, but also to protect innocent persons. When we make an arrest in this case and charges are filed, there must be no mistake. 
We must get the right man or no man at all. On Friday, May 3rd, the Gazette reported Gonzalez's announcement that this man has been completely eliminated. He has been checked and double-checked. He couldn't have had anything to do with the murder cases here. So once again, we're back to square one. No one under arrest. A town under siege. A killer on the loose. And only a matter of time before this phantom claims another victim. On the next episode of Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, continued fear grips Texarkana. Mel, what are you marking up that newspaper for? Well, I'm looking through the want ads for a guard dog. Captain Gonzalez goes on the radio to address the populace. What advice could you give to quiet the town's fear? I tell them to check the locks and bolts on their doors and get the double barrel shotgun to take care of any intruder who tried to get in. People have to take precautions. I'll be coming over at six o'clock in my red pickup. You got that? Six o'clock. Whatever you do, don't shoot me. The hysteria takes its toll. Ah! Oh, you shot me in the foot! I was just coming in the bar for a beer. Sorry. You shoot all your customers? I saw a shadow and Uh, I wasn't taking any chances. The search for the saxophone continues. Wait, what's that over there? And the police close in on a suspect. Put your hands up! Please don't shoot me. I'm not going to shoot you for stealing cars. Mister, don't play games with me. You want me for more than stealing cars. But not before the phantom killer strikes again. I know you're in there. You can't escape. Don't forget to subscribe to Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories on iTunes, Google Play, SoundCloud, Stitcher, or any other podcast directory. Or listen to us on our website, parcast.com. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T dot com. A new episode of Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories comes out every other Tuesday. Let us know what you think and join the conversation on our Parcast Facebook page. You can tweet us at Parcast Network. That's P-A-R-C-A-S-T Network. As always, we thank you for listening. And if you enjoyed the podcast, tell your friends. I'm Carter Roy. And I'm Wendy McKenzie. We'll see you next time. If we live till next time. Unsolved Murders True Crime Stories was created by Max Cutler, is a production of Cutler Media, and is part of the ParCast Network. It is produced by Ron and Max Cutler, digitally engineered by Ron Shapiro, and written by Stephen DeLillo. Unsolved Murders, True Crime Stories, stars Carter Roy and Wendy McKenzie. The amazing cast of voice actors includes, by alphabetical order, Jerry Courtney Austin, Mike Capozzi, Janice Liebhart, Stephen Pinto, Gregory Polson, and Vanessa Richardson. Mm-hmm.